the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it, now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is. Good morning. Eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock and we're loaded and ready to go on a Tuesday. The 16th morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And I cannot start this broadcast without starting, or excuse me, without mentioning what I do at every broadcast um, when it's an important day for me. I want to start this broadcast by wishing a happy, healthy, wonderful, glorious, which are things that I could use to describe her herself, 21st birthday to my beautiful daughter, Jaden. Happy birthday, Jaden. 21 years. It is impossible that it happened, but it did. And I still expect to see you bounding down the stairs like you're five, because uh, you'll always be my little girl. Happy birthday, Jaden. I don't know if you're listening or not right now, but uh, your father loves you very, very much. Now, uh, you know what else I love very, very much? I love this country, and I'm very, very worried about what is happening to it. Um, and apparently, so are a whole lot of other people. We're going to talk a little bit about the state of this country today because Americans, in a new survey, Americans say they're unhappy with the state of the nation. They agree that political divisiveness is the issue. It's a serious concern. It's uncomfortable. 
It's not it's not a, a, a happy way to live to be at odds with people constantly over political issues. And I concur. It is it is an uncomfortable way to live. It is a reason for great concern. However, the alternative, I believe, is worse. And I want to talk about what that means, and I want to talk to you, and I want to listen to you about what that means. It's one thing to have to work with, live with, associate with, socialize with people with whom you disagree on important things, and maybe just say, you know what, we'll agree not to talk about those things. But considering you cannot get away from what is now a 24-7 news cycle in which the news is not just on your TV screen the way it was 30 years ago, it's in your pocket, it's on the screen in your hand or in your purse or in your back pocket or whatever, uh, and, and you're getting alerts like I do. This just happened. This breaking news story. That breaking news story. This this uh, mass shooting. Uh, this this raid of a white of a of a of a former president. This uh, you know story or that story, and it's in front of us all the time, and everyone has a reaction to it all the time. So you can't really just say we agree not to talk about those things. We'll just talk about the things we can agree upon. It's very, very difficult to do that because it's always in our face. And then if you do try to just say, well, you know what, we'll talk about sports. We don't have to worry about all this political stuff. We're still friends. Let's talk about our Indians. Oh, wait a minute. I mean, guardians. And then there there it is again. Here we go. I can't believe they changed the name. I love that they changed the name. It was offensive. And And here we go again. The divisiveness isn't going away. The question becomes, how do we deal with one another? But this survey is an interesting one, and we're going to lead off with that in our opening monologue. Uh, So I'm going to do that after I ask you, as a patriot who is concerned about these things, and I know that you are, to rise, as we do each and every day at this time at the top of our show. And if you have a flag nearby, please face it. If you are in a car, I love this, by the way. I had a friend called me, uh, or texted me, rather, about two weeks ago when we were doing this, uh, doing the pledge. And he was stuck in traffic in a backup uh, around, uh, I, think it was, I think it was on 40, 480 East, around the bridge, Valley Bridge or whatever. Anyway, he said he was stuck in traffic, and he literally looked to his left and his right when I did the pledge. And I tell people, of course, rise and face your flag. But if you're driving, you don't have to stand. It's a little tough when you're driving. But at least put your hand on your heart and join us for, your pledge, for the pledge. And I had somebody text me, and I wish he would have snapped a pic, and said he saw people listening to their car radios, putting their hand on their heart as we did our Pledge of Allegiance. That makes me feel so optimistic, optimistic about what we can do together. It really does. So, Patriots, go ahead and join us for this. If you are a believer in um, Bidenomics, if you are a believer in taking more money away from the people and giving it to the government so that they can decide how to spend it better than you do, if you are a believer in releasing violent criminals because of equity, and there's an L.A. story there, well, then you uh, have no earthly idea what that flag is supposed to represent anyway. So you are for you are uh, exempted from pledging allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex quarterback, your fa- ex favorite, uh, or your favorite ex pink haired soccer player, and your favorite ex WNBA player who is now serving a nine year sentence in Russia. For the rest of us who actually do care about this country, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation. Under God, indivisible, 
with liberty and justice for all. Oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, Let's talk about this country. Let's talk about what the people are saying. Let's talk about how we are all feeling right now, because that's the reality. This is a new survey, Fox uh, Fox News poll. Um, Three-quarters of registered voters surveyed, three-quarters, are dissatisfied with America's direction. 75%. That's a nearly 25% increase from April of 2021. So in about a year and a half, which is roughly about the period of, um, oh, I don't know, the Biden administration's rule, a little bit less, um, nearly 25% more people are dissatisfied with the direction of this country. They want what's best for the country, but they don't feel like they're getting it, and they don't feel like it's anywhere in the foreseeable future. Um, Here are some of the numbers. As gas prices dipped below $4 a gallon in August after passing the $5 a gallon in June, a record high according to AAA, and inflation, which reached reached a record high in earlier in this year in 2022, eased down slightly to 8.5%, which is still nearly 40-year high. Remember, Biden said the fact that it went from 9.1% last month to 8.5% this month, it means that there's 0% inflation. No, year over year, it is still almost 9% higher. That's nearly a 40-year high. Those numbers, the fact that they are uh, starting to dip just a little bit in the month of August, are still not enough to please the people who are surveyed. Because the numbers are still high, and while they are falling, that is a positive. The fact that they rose as high as they did is inexcusable. Grocery prices are still too high, the people say. Gas prices are still too high. All items that are required for back to school are way too high, including clothing. People are living in a very, very difficult time right now. And so when you're dealing with a difficult time economically, and then you have to add on to it the social upheaval that we are seeing and experiencing on a daily basis, the fact that we can't even talk about things without being at each other's throats. And I'm guilty, by the way. I'm guilty of it as much as anybody else. Because they have driven, and I'm going to be bluntly honest with you here, and this is going to sound like an attack, And maybe it is, but the vision of the left is to drive a wedge between the American people to the point where the American people cannot sustain themselves, to the point where the country cannot stand on its own. And it has often been said that the most powerful nation in the world, the United States of America, could never, ever be overtaken from outside. It can never be destroyed by outside forces. If it is to collapse, it will collapse from within. And I believe that the wedge is driven between Americans on everything that there is from abortion to the LGBTQ radical extremist agenda, to the investigation and the hatred of Donald Trump by one side and the the, the worship of Donald Trump from a political standpoint on the other side, uh, to the invasion of our southern border, to higher taxes, to giant government, to taking people's money away from them and spending it on ridiculous 
boondoggles like the Green New Deal, all of these things are intended to divide people, to drive a wedge between people. Because when we are divided, we are weak. When we are united, we are strong. I didn't invent that. This is the reality. It's reality in politics. It's reality in social culture. It's reality in physics. Divided, weak, united, strong. And so the division is what they are counting upon. And guess what? Here we sit. Here's how the American people feel things are going in the United States. 24% say they're satisfied with the direction of this country. As I mentioned a moment ago, 75% dissatisfied. 1% apparently just doesn't really pay attention to anything. They've got no opinion. Those numbers from May, so just uh, three months ago, 32% were satisfied, then 67% dissatisfied. So an eight-point swing to the the negative. From February, close to the start of the year, it was around the same 31% satisfied, 68% dissatisfied. December of this past year, so nine months ago now, 35% was pretty satisfied. And that's still a terrible underwater number, by the way. 65% dissatisfied. And then again, as I mentioned, going back to April of 2021, so that would be what? That would be roughly three months into, or maybe two and a half months into, the Biden administration's policies. At that time, 45% were satisfied, 53% were dissatisfied. So we're talking about almost, almost a coin flip there. I mean, you know, it's still eight points, but comparatively eight points uh, to the negative is nothing compared to where we sit today. After a year and a half of Biden, let's go, Brandon. After a year and a half, those numbers went from 45, 53 to 24, 75. That's striking. That's how people feel about the direction of this country now. They are dissatisfied, and one of the things that they point to, as noted, is the political division, the fact that there is divisiveness in every corner of our lives. And I concur. There is. But I don't know if I necessarily would change things, because I don't think it's possible to unify with people who are so extremely, I'm looking for the right uh, adverb here, so extremely uh, radical with their positions on things that used to be unifying. In other words, we didn't just like change in our cores and our beliefs so quickly and rapidly overnight. It's that people started... um, disagreeing with things that had already previously been settled. For example, it has always been known that there are men and that there are women. That's it. Everybody knows. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. When one political party representing one half of the country-ish tries to tell you now that men can get pregnant and have babies and that there are infinite numbers of genders just depending on what people feel like and that other people must participate in that 
in that strange delusion in order to get along in this society that you must accept and call somebody a a pim or a or a or a or a purr or a or a xim or or all these other made up words that they can change by the way on the fly no 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 yesterday even if you tried to play their ridiculous game if you tried and, you know, on one day and started calling somebody by their quote-unquote preferred pronouns as listed on their name tag or their, their, their Twitter bio, even if you wanted to participate and called them that, the next day you'd call them the same thing and say, no, today I identify something different, call me this. you got to learn the new, you know, names or pronouns or whatever of all of the people in your lives until, until uh, or your life until uh, they're satisfied. Of course this is going to divide us. I, I cannot imagine a time in which I would ever say I'm united with people who say abortion is a great work of health care. It's a really great thing for moms, or, or rather for women who don't want to be moms, and people who say that dismembering a baby limb from limb uh, you know, in utero is perfectly fine. Killing a baby two days before it's supposed to be delivered is perfectly fine, too. And, you know, you know, that baby might actually be in the womb of a man, not of a woman. What is a woman? We don't really know that either. And it's perfectly fine if there are terrorists and if there are drug runners and cartels bringing scores and scores of dangerous, illicit, lethal drugs across our southern border. Because guess what? We do not need... We do not need, in fact, we cannot tolerate having a southern border that isolates us from the rest of the world. The rest of the world must be invited. The rest of the world must be invited in, no matter what they're bringing. And that could be human beings in the form of trafficking. That could be drugs in the form of of, uh, cartels and drug runners and mules. I can't imagine uniting and unifying with those people if that's what their beliefs are. I can't. I won't. So when the American people, by way of the survey, say we are very dissatisfied, three out of every four, 75%, with the direction of our country, and it's largely due to political division and cultural division, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of at a point where I say get used to it because it isn't changing. I know I'm not going to soften my stance on these things that are extraordinarily important to the children of this country. To my children and their children to come in this country, I'm not going to change it just to, to unify, just to say I get along with these other people now. Not in, not in a million years. I won't be able to rest in my grave knowing I didn't do something to bring back about cultural and social decency and consistency. During my time on earth. I can't. I won't. So I'm throwing this out to, to you in the opening monologue today because I saw the poll and because I want to know how you feel about it. Are you among the three and four, the 75% that say this country is in a very bad place, we hate the direction of it, and that the division of it is to, is to, is to blame for it? Where do, you, where do you fall on that? And if you do fall in that three out of every four, tell me what your answer is. Because I can tell you my, what mine isn't. Mine isn't change my views all for the purpose of not having a divided nation and coming together. I don't want to come together with people who have views that are that grotesque, that are that grotesque, 
and indefensible and dangerous. And quite frankly, views that are guaranteed to end this glorious experiment that is the capitalist republic, the constitutional republic of the United States of America, guaranteed to lead to her end. So the survey is out. 75% of this country doesn't like the country the way that it is. I want to know what you think. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. You may also join us by sounding off on the webpage, which is always right.us. Click the red box in the upper right-hand corner and put in your name, leave your message, and send it to me. It'll come to my screen, and we'll play it on the radio and react right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. 937 now, always write radio, AM 1420, the answer. Appreciate you being with us. Phone lines are open. Uh, I've got plenty of time for phone calls at 216 901 0945 and 888 281 Let me follow what I, what I opened with, though, with, a, with another set of numbers that I think matter here. Because this is why the first set of numbers matters. As I pointed out, that due to national divisiveness, 75% of Americans, according to the most recent survey, a Fox News survey, are dissatisfied with the direction of the country. Only 24% are satisfied. Massive increases from last year to this. And as I discussed last segment about all of the reasons why I fear and feel like that is probably the better of the two alternatives, which is the other alternative being to go ahead and unify with people that simply are reprehensible in what they believe, in the way that they want to live, in the way they want me to live, the way they want my children to live, the dangers that they want to put them in. This might just be the way that it is. And the reason, though, I'm so concerned is because of this new set of numbers. According to a different Fox News poll of different Americans, 70% of the respondents say that life will be worse for the next generation than it is for this one. That's the, the, the thing that, that drives, you know, Larry Elder, when he was doing a show, used to say, you know, we've got a country to save, and I'm sure he still says it, he just doesn't have a show anymore as he moves on to other ventures, but... When he talks about saving the country, it's not for you and me today, necessarily. It's we have a country to save for the future. That the trajectory that we are on right now is going to be one that leads to a miserable existence that is lacking in the same liberty and freedom that we were blessed and gifted with. For our children and for our children's children, those generations are not going to be able to enjoy the country as we know it. If we don't do something... Against the backdrop of mass shootings, foreign policy showdowns, inflation woes, and a pandemic, the latest Fox News survey finds a record high number of registered voters think life for the next generation of Americans will be worse than it is today. A majority to the tune of 70% say life will be worse for the next generation than it is today. That's up 29 points from July of 2020. So a two-year difference, 29 points higher. 
The last time voters were close to being this negative about their future was in September of 2014. How about that? September of 2014 when 61%. So, so we're talking eight years ago when uh, 61% said that um, uh, life would be worse for the next generation. All of this comes as voters continue to offer pessimistic, pessimistic views of both the national economy and their personal finances. Eight in ten uh, rate national economic conditions as only fair or poor, while six in ten rate their financial uh, uh, personal finance, finances negatively. So 60% say it's negative, eight in ten, 80% say it's poor, fair or poor. On top of this, three-quarters are dissatisfied. Well, that's the other number I just gave you with the direction of the country, the highest negative rating in a decade. Almost 80% of Republicans, 76% to be precise, and independents, 79%, say life will be worse for the next generation. That's a 40-point increase from only two summers ago. Over half of Democrats are also more likely to think life will be more difficult, but only 57%. Up nine points. However, they're one of the only subgroups where the belief that life will get better for younger generations is up. 26% 26% said that in uh, two summers ago, and now 37% of Democrats say that life will be better for the younger generations going forward. Now, I just want to pause for a second, and before I go to your phone calls, let's just analyze that ever so uh, uh, briefly. Why do you think it is that fewer Democrats are concerned about the direction of the future of this country for the next generations than Republicans? Why do you think Republicans are more pessimistic about the future than the, than the, the, uh, the Democrats are, the left is? And I'll just give you my, my own personal thought on this. It's because they know they are right now controlling the youth of America. They are indoctrinating the youth into a belief system that is completely counterintuitive to what this country was built and founded upon. Liberty and freedom, small government, the government only providing necessary uh, necessary services and tasks and resources to allow the people to pursue their own goals and their own agendas on their own time frame and in their own way. That is what this country was built upon, and, and young kids today are being taught the exact opposite. Young kids today are being taught that and indoctrinated into a belief that the government should control everything that you do, that the government should indeed uh, dole out uh, funds in an equitable manner to make sure that everybody has the same, that make, to make sure that everybody eats the same way, everybody has the same um, you know, uh, uh, amount of money, the same type of work hours, and so on and so forth. In other words, the same socialist model that has failed in civilization after civilization, country after country, culture after culture, is what the American left believes is, is right for the future. And they're teaching and indoctrinating young kids into that belief, and they're teaching them that equity and diversity matters more than qualifications and merit and personal ambition and drive and promotion and success. They're teaching them, now just sit and you'll get what is coming to you. We'll make sure that the government gives it to you. So the left is much more confident in winning the future than the Republicans are. The left believes, and they're teaching their young kids to believe, and thus they will grow up and vote this way, but they continue to believe that big government providing universal health care 
and universal, you know, green policies to provide clean energy and the killing of fossil fuels is going to lead to a utopia. And so that's why they're a little bit more optimistic about the future, because they see these things in motion. And they see those of us who push back on all of them, we're cancelable. We are, you know, expendable. We can just be pushed out of the mainstream in society. We can just be pushed out to the margins and never heard from again. That's what their belief is. You push back on the idea of mandatory vaccination against something with a 99% survival rate for the majority of the country, you're just going to push yourself right out of the society. So they're a little more optimistic about the future because they think they're winning the future. Because they're controlling the future by controlling the education from K through college now of the present. That's a frightening thought. They've got new Democrat voters lined up and ready to go, all being taught the the principles of modern American leftism, Marxism, and socialism. So as Americans pull away from one another, as the divide gets deeper and wider, what do you believe about it? Is that something we have to stop and find a way to unite? Or is it something that we need to embrace and say, we can never unite because we are two very, very different cultures of people, and the separatism, the division, is something we're going to have to get used to. How do you feel about it? 216-901-0945. Sally's been waiting in Berea. Sally, thank you. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I, I see no way that we can unite. For myself, my life has gotten more difficult from when I was growing up because we don't have the same traditional widespread values and i see those being eroded daily and i see the effects of globalism trying to minimize the effect of each individual person in each individual country and so we have to get back to that i'm not willing to back down it used to be that you could debate somebody that maybe had a different political slant and now it it gets contentious and and sometimes we just have to agree not to um, discuss things because they get so um, vehement about it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it breaks up relationships. It's it's really a sad situation. It now breaks up and, families. It breaks up families. And I'm not willing to back down. I I'm standing to my beliefs. I had a conversation, Sally, and thank you. God bless you and appreciate your call. Keep listening. I had a conversation last night with someone with whom I'm very close. And um, they asked me, how many friends do I have that are liberals or leftists or even left of center? And I had to stop. And I had to ponder, and I started running through the people that I would call my friends, people that, whether I see them on a daily basis or not, or whether I you know, only talk to them on the phone, or I'm a friend via text because we live far apart, all those kind of things. I started to think of just all through my friend base, right? And I was a good probably 40 seconds or so into my quiet pondering of the answer to the question. And the person I was speaking with, who I will not identify, said, what number are you stuck on? And I said, one. I said one, because that's all I could think of. 
literally everybody else is are people that i i believe have the same values and the same mindset and the same political ideology and the belief in smaller government and more uh, individual rights and so forth meritocracy uh not equity uh equality of opportunity instead all these things and um the person i was speaking with said that's a sad way to live man and i said no it's not a sad way to live would be to pretend that i like somebody who thinks men can get pregnant and and is mad at me for not agreeing. The sad way for me to live would be to live pretending to be friends with people who think that ripping babies apart limb by limb is just health care. Because they haven't passed through the birth canal yet. That's a sad way. Sad way for me to live would be to 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 be friends with somebody and pretend to like somebody who thinks that it is okay for our southern border to not exist, that the rest of the world can come in and harm us, our families, and our future, with a variety of different terrible actors, criminals, uh, uh, terrorists, cartel members, uh, violent gangs. I mean, all of the things that that we are seeing happen. I'm, if somebody says, no, I think this is cool, this is good, this is all right, we can't have borders, man. A terrible way for me to live would be to say that I'm friends with somebody who thinks that, oh, my God, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you get your vaccination? You need your vaccination. Why haven't you gotten your COVID shots? Come on, man. Don't you care about uh, uh, saving other people? And then me explaining to them the reality of the COVID shots and then them not agreeing with me. I, I, how does that make my life better to be friends with those people? So the person I was speaking with last night who said, why do you only have one friend like that? That's why. And I don't see that person very often, to be quite honest. With, to be quite honest. Do, just, do I sacrifice quote-unquote relationships, as Sally was just talking about, maybe with that mindset? Maybe. But what kind of a relationship is it anyway? Not one that I think I want to I continue. To be frank, not one that I want to continue. Rich, uh, Rick, not Rich, Rick is in North Ridgeville next. Hi, Rick, go ahead, sir. Bob, it's an honor. I got three out of my four kids going to EC, and I'm so happy that they're going there. Congratulations <laughs> to the Panthers. Love it. Good for them. <laughs> so I, I I got this. Hey, hey, hey wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. While, yes, ce- while we celebrate your 75% success rate there, what happened to the other one? Uh, he's only 12. He's still at St. Peter's. <laughs> oh, okay. But he's on his way, though. He's on his way. Yes. Okay. He is. Good. For you. So you got three of them in there at the same time. Yes, sir. Oh, God bless you, and God help you with that tuition. Well, <laughs> I, one I boy, know what it feels like. Crazy. I had two at the same time. I can't imagine three, and at least the fourth one's giving you a break. It won't be there until uh, a couple more years go by. But anyway, thanks for the uh, note. Go right ahead, Rick. Very good, sir. I uh, had the pleasure of uh, listening to the the Kirschlechter rise and the fall and rise of America, and he. It's like your show is exactly what his book went through. All the different scenarios. You can't win. You cannot be their friends. It's a. It's a. When you go to war, you got to win. And from art of war, you don't go to war unless you're guaranteed you're going to win. So it. This whole thing is you can't. We can't do that. It's in. You don't want to go to war in the United States. We don't want to do that. So what we have to do is change politicians by voting. You know we're. We already did a civil war, and like you said, families and families were destroyed and killed, and we don't want to go through that. There's just no way we're better than that, and we're still the core of America. Still, still is uh, for justice and good, and and um, 
we got to believe in the system, and it's it's not all done. And when this, the, the, the criminals fall, and hopefully this swamp does get drained, we'll be better for it. I think we'll be stronger. We just we cannot divide, and we cannot. There cannot be a civil war. We cannot do that. Well, There's too many, I completely... the, the book is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, and I've interviewed Kirk, uh, Kirk, uh, Kurt about that, um, and I completely agree. And, and I agree on uh, the fact that we cannot go, go through a civil war, uh, a physical, literal civil war the way we did, um, uh, you know, in 1861. But what we do have is a, is a different type of war. Um, it is a culture war. And there will not be as many casualties to the to the way that we normally think of casualties, but there will be in this culture war. And I think that war is being fought right now. And I think it will continue to be fought. We will not fight it with bullets, God willing. We will not fight it with bayonets, God willing. We'll fight it with votes. We'll fight fight it with ballots, uh, but not bullets. And you're right. One of his biggest one of his biggest points was everyone. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you want to be blue, go to your blue state. If you want to be red, go to your red state. We can't do that because our border, our coastal borders would be blue. China would love to see California, Oregon, and Washington be blue. They would be right in. You know? Well, they already are. So, Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, literally, our entire West Coast, California, Oregon, Washington, are all extraordinarily left, and so is a lot, not the entirety, but, you know, the Northeast Coast of our Eastern Seaboard uh, is kind of the same way. Of course, you look at Florida, uh, and you look at the Carolinas, and you have a little bit more, uh, you know, of a red of a red lean there, and, and some balance anyway, but but no, and we've had this conversation too, Rick, uh, you know, outside of Kurt's book about whether or not we, we would, you know, be better off having some sort of a division, blue states of America and red states of America. The problem is geographically, as you say, there are natural resources that both sides would need on the coasts and in the, in the, uh, in the heartland. Um, and, you know, we, we would eventually have to cooperate with one another anyway in order to provide each with the things that they get from those particular geographical locations. But from an ideological and a cultural standpoint, my friend, we are already in that war. And uh, it's a question of who, who's got the, you know, who's got enough grit to, uh, you know, to make it to the final round. And uh, and that's yeah, we one need, thing. I'm... We need the Patriots. Yeah, we need the Patriots to remain Patriots. Yes, we do. And you know, don't cause trouble and um, vote, vote. Yeah, and absolutely. Talk to well, I might, I might disagree with the second to last part there. We have to vote, but I don't know about don't cause trouble. One of the things that we get in trouble from is not causing trouble. We play by the rules. We fight by, you know, the Marquis of Queensberry rules. And the other ones, you know, the, the Democrats are out there with a, you know, uh, hitting us with a, with a board with a nail in it. Uh, you know, so if, if we don't cause trouble, we get in trouble. And I think, you know, and I'm not saying be radical, I'm not saying be radical at all, but we have to be willing to push the envelope where in other places and in other times we have just kind of laid back. So I think we have to be willing to do that. Uh, Rick, thank you for the call. God bless you, and God bless your Panthers and your future Panther at St. Peter's. Appreciate it. All right, there's Rick. We'll get a quick time out now. We'll come back, get some more phone calls. Uh, we've got a guest coming up after the top of the hour. I didn't know if we get her in time, but Linda Harvey of Mission America is going to join us. I'll tell you what she's all about and why coming up. Always right radio after uh, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to 
Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Onward. And hopefully upward in hour number two. Nine minutes past 10 o'clock as we continue on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer. It is a Tuesday. Normally you'd be hearing uh, Peter Kirstenau at this hour. Peter had to be um, excused as he is on the job. He is uh, continuing labor negotiations in Denver. So uh, our regular Peter Kirstenau slot is open, and we are about to fill it. But first of all, let me remind you, today is the 16th uh, morning of the 8th month of the year of our Lord, 2022, and that makes it a glorious day for me because 21 years ago this morning, my beautiful daughter, Jaden, was born. Jaden, happy birthday, sweetheart. I love you very, very much. 21 is impossible for me to wrap my brain around. But um, but here it is. God, God bless you, sweetheart, and I love you very much. Uh, okay, I do that at the top of every hour when it's my wife or my daughter or my son's birthday. So uh, just if you'll pardon me, uh, I just have to. Now, um, school is about to start, as we know. My daughter's about to head back. Uh, my son's already there because of football. Uh, but school's about to start for everybody, whether it be in their kindergarten years or their 12th grade years or maybe in one of their college years. But on their way back into school, there is a very strong likelihood, particularly if they're in a public school or at the um, uh, higher education level, a publicly funded university, <clears throat> there is a very strong possibility that they are going to be asked to, in support and in affirmation of those who are undergoing gender transitions or gender confusion or just identity, um, uh, I don't know, games, gamesmanship. Uh, it might be a clumsy way to put it, but in support of all of those folks, there's a very strong possibility that your child may be asked to declare when they get there how they want to be referred to. In other words, what pronouns do they want to use to refer to them when not using their actual given names? And to say that that can create some uncomfortable situations would be an understatement. To say that it would be criminal might be a better way to say it, because I feel like it is. I feel like it's almost abusive to ask kids to declare something that should be as obvious and natural as, well, anything that is obvious and natural in their lives, their own existence, their own names, their own families, and so on and so forth. To ask them to declare what their actual gender is, what their actual sex is, is borderline abusive, psychologically abusive. Well, Linda Harvey has written a piece uh, for Mission of She is, of course, uh, uh, with Mission America, uh, and, in fact, is uh, one of the leaders of Mission America. Linda Harvey wrote a piece called Standing Against Pronoun Interrogation at School. You're looking for ways to help your kids deal with the inevitable question of what are your pronouns and how to deal with others when they declare their pronouns. This might be the article that you need, need to read, and it's why I have posted this article on my webpage at alwayswrite.us. Joining us now to tell us more about this is Linda Harvey. Linda, thank you so much for coming on this morning. How are you? I am good, Bob. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. I really appreciate the chance to talk to you. I certainly enjoyed when you uh, uh, presented for our Citizens for Free Speech webinar a few months back. And, and I follow Mission America very closely, and I, uh, I just always appreciate what you write. And I feel like the time is right now, as we are again on the 16th of August. People are, kids are headed back to school very, very soon for them, if they're not there already. And this is something they're going to face. Um, and, and before we talk about some of the suggested responses that you have listed here for, for students on how to deal with these questions, let's go back to the precursor, your article about pronoun passports coming. 
Um, you cite some examples, Olentangy schools uh, near Columbus and uh, Dublin schools also in uh, are outside of Columbus. Tell us a little bit about the pronoun passports that you're concerned about and what you're seeing at some of these schools already. Well, yes, Bob, because I think what's happening is that the whole LGBTQ movement has gotten a lot of muscle, and they are pushing this as hard as they can, especially with the Biden administration in charge and the anticipated changes to Title IX sex discrimination law, which is a whole other subject we could talk about forever. Uh, Without any kind of legislation, they're just going to ram this through. So people are, are aggressive and proud, quote unquote, of pushing this agenda to kids. So what's happening is that it's going to become a standard or within teacher training it's already a standard to introduce yourself and when you introduce yourself to include your pronouns and that is you know if you're a, a guy or you identify as a guy your pronouns are he and him if you're a woman you identify as a woman it's uh a she and her and but you can make them up. You can be a plural pronoun. You know, a singular person can be they now, or you can make them up. Z, zim, zir, and so on. And this is um, so insidious, and it is a backdoor way of making kids affirm this agenda, and also teachers. So we saw, as you mentioned, uh, down here in, near Columbus, Dublin schools. Uh, Olentangy schools, we know specific classrooms where teachers have had kids stand up and you have to uh, introduce yourself and state your pronouns. And, you know, uh, kids have come home from school crying, telling their parents about how humiliated they were. We also have on record teacher training programs in the Hilliard schools down here and in Parma up in your area, because, you know, I'm also on the board of Protect Ohio Children. And mm-hmm. if you go to protectohiochildren.net, you'll see all kinds of whistleblower information anonymously posted uh, about this, but where these teacher training homosexual activists, quite frankly, uh, told teachers to, you know, here's what you need to do with pronouns and even introduce yourselves right now uh, to each other, the person on your left, you know, introduce your, use your name and give your pronoun and that this should be the new standard. No, it shouldn't. And we need to stand up against this and be ready and prepare our kids for these classroom introductions where that may be required or asked of them and how they could respond. Um, we're talking with Linda Harvey. She is the founder of Mission America, founded this organization in 1995. Uh, it, it's an extraordinarily important one. In addition to, as you say, being on the board of Protect Ohio Children. Um, let's answer the obvious question, because those who disagree with you and me uh, are going to come back at you and say, what's the problem. Why can't you just let kids name themselves or call themselves what they want to call themselves? Why do you have to make a big deal out of this? Why do you have to, you know, tell kids who want to change their pronouns, who might question their own identity, that they want to do this? You're being harmful to them. You know, you're hurting them. You're hurting their feelings, their own belief and their own self-confidence, their own, um, you know, self-worth by, by telling people, no, don't, don't address people by pronouns and don't volunteer yours. How do you, most of this audience, probably 99% of this audience already agrees with you and me, but for for those who might wonder, how do you respond to people who just say, quit making a big deal out of this, let the kids call themselves what they want? Well, Bob, it's, uh, it's as I was saying, this is a backhanded way of uh, coercing kids into affirming a very insidious 
unscientific, unbiological agenda. No one is born in the wrong sex body. That doesn't mean that we advocate people being cruel to someone who is confused, but it doesn't mean you have to stand up in in your space and in your identity as a child or as an adult or as a teacher, say, oh, yeah, I'm going to cooperate with this propaganda. It's a propaganda tool. This is a con job, and we need to make sure we know that's what it is. And from a faith standpoint, this forces kids and teachers to affirm something that is completely contrary to the faith. We know we were designed as two types of humans, male and female, and that we need to stand on that. And I know there there are teachers that are going to say when these kids respond in a different way and say, I don't prefer to say that, uh, they're going to say, well, aren't you being just what you said? Aren't you being cruel and and, uh, inhumane and you're not being very considerate and uh, this could be considered hateful? You know, our kids need to stand up and say, I think it's quite the opposite. For you to ask me to affirm something that's obvious and God-given is an insult to my faith and my morality. We cross into a dangerous area, in my opinion, um, when we when we try to counter their arguments of, uh, you know, science has shown that kids can have something called gender dysphoria. They are, their mind does not mesh with what their body says and so on and so forth by responding to it with, well, the Bible, well, Christianity, well, Judaism, well, faith. Um, again, while that might mean a lot to me and to you, they see that as just a straight up uh, assault on the separation of church and state. Don't bring your morality and your faith arguments here. They have no place in the public schools. They have no place in the public square. That's for you and your church or your synagogue, um, not here. Again, I'll ask you, uh, Linda, because I think you can help people here. How do we answer that? Right. Well, you know, it's funny because I came to all of this in the early 1990s when I was a progressive agnostic. I became a Christian, and then then I began to finally open my mind and read other information about the sexuality issues, about abortion, and I realized that had I heard those arguments, secular research and arguments, while I was an agnostic progressive, I would have become a conservative. I might not even have become a Christian. Uh, I praise God that I am, but but the problem is you can make this argument on any of these levels, and there are several different levels here. It is unscientific to claim that people are born in the wrong sex body. You know, for the standard in mental health treatment in psychi- psychiatry for forever since Freud has been to align um, a person's mind with reality if they're delusional. Well, guess when that changed? That's changed because of these sexuality agendas. No, no longer are kids supposed to be, people supposed to be aligned with reality. They're to be able to, to be affirmed in their delusions, and you're supposed to go along with it. The other issue is there's a, there are non-discrimination clauses in every school, on the local school board level, the state level, um, and in the national level that affirm the right to religion. So in a narrow sense, everybody can stand on their civil rights to claim their, their religious faith. So uh, as long as people don't say, you must believe what I believe in the Bible, you can say, guess what? This offends my faith, and I think we're all talking civil rights here, so uh, can I just go with uh, with not answering that? 
Once again, we are talking with Linda Harvey. She is the founder of Mission America. Um, she has written, well, many, many articles and many, many pieces for the Mission America website. But the two that we're speaking of this morning involve pronouns as your kids head back to school. Um, the pronoun passports that are coming. And, uh, and now most recently, as I said to Linda when we first brought you on, you have some suggestions on how kids can stand up against pronoun interrogation at school. Quite literally, you list many, many lines here that perhaps kids can memorize and if they are indeed confronted with the question of what do you want to be known as uh what sex are you what gender are you what pronouns do you prefer us call you uh what do your parents call you at home and and these kinds of things you've got a lot of suggestions here tell us about how you came up with this and and um and and what some of these suggestions are well i sent out a call to some of my closest colleagues for their suggestions and also I put out a notice on our e-newsletter, Mission America. We have an e-newsletter. People can sign up at missionamerica.com and ask people to send me their suggestions. And I got some hilarious ones, and then I got some very serious ones. Um, So some of them are what you you can divide it down into grade schoolers and middle and high schoolers because, you know, kids are going to be more brave and more have more complex ideas at different stages. And you know your own child and their personality. But, for instance, um, you can say, I was born a boy or a girl, and I'm, I'm happy to announce that I will remain that way. Um, also, you can refer people back to parents, and grade schoolers ought to do this. My parents filled out a form when I started school. Please use that information. And also, uh, my mom or dad have, have said they don't want me discussing this, and if you have any questions, ask them, and so on. So for that's for the smaller kids, and then for larger, uh, the the high school, middle school, high schoolers, you can say that, you know, I believe there are only two genders, only two sets of pronouns for human beings, for people. They, you can ask, is this uh, required by law? Is this in the school handbook? Or you can take um, a copy of the child's birth certificate, make the child, you know, carry that around with them. I mean, that's a, this is a hard burden for kids to bear, but that this is something that may come up and just re- say, here's my birth certificate. It says I'm a male or female, um, and any medical intervention will never change that, and so on. And also, people can use this if they care to, to make a bold faith statement that Jesus declared there's male and female, and that's my faith, and I hope you will honor and respect that. You know, uh, we're talking with Linda Harvey, Mission America, and also Protecting Ohio's Children. Um, the... Um, the lines are great, and some of them are funny, and some of them, as you say, are faith-affirming, and some of them are just, you know, direct and, and, and very matter-of-fact, um, and I'm not participating in this and so forth. Um, but what do we say to the kids to help them defend themselves against the inevitable onslaught of negativity they're going to receive for using one of these lines? Because you know as well as I do, kids and people get canceled for saying things like what we're talking about here because you are, you know, it's kind of funny. You and I both know, and I think science knows, um, that what they like to call gender-affirming care is essentially the step, you know, steps toward mutilation, physical, surgical mutilation, uh, uh, you know, uh, developmental mutilation by, by puberty blockers, blocking hormones, and so on and so forth. They call that gender-affirming care, and they say to deny those things is actually the abuse. You're causing harm to people by not um, affirming what they want to be. So 
let's say a kid goes in and gives one of these lines that you're talking about here, which, again, I love, um, inevitably either the teacher or somebody in administration or parents of other kids wants the kids go home and say, Johnny said, I'm not participating in this stuff. There's only men and women. There's only boys and girls, blah, blah, blah. And then the, the, the pushback comes, the ostracizing comes. You know, they're going to be ostracized, they're going to be um, marginalized, and they're going to be called bigots and so on and so forth. How, how do we find the courage and the right words to battle those things, Linda? Well, this is a very tough question, and this is the, the ultimate question nowadays about having your children in the public schools at all. Right. And I would urge any person who has... Who are thinking? You're thinking about this. You know your kids are going to be confronting this. If you can take your children out of the public schools, uh, I would recommend you do that. However, many people, for a variety of reasons, will not do that or cannot do that. And so, in the current climate period, not just in schools, we have to train our children to be brave, um, and we have to equip them to stand up against this. That we can't just all roll over. Now, I know this is putting kids in a very difficult position, but if you equip them with prayer, again, this I'm thinking faith-based prayer and the, the scripture readings and all of that, and if it's not faith-based with firm, you know, giving them a foundation in the truth, that there is no evidence that this is going on. This is a very recent phenomenon, and it's going to come and it's going to go. It's, it's, it's going out of fashion, in, for instance, in in uh, the UK and in Europe, they're backing away from this mutilating surgery. So the trend is in our favor, and those kinds of facts need to be presented to kids, especially the older kids. Um, Equip them and then just get them to the point where they're prepared. They know that they're going to possibly have a comeback by the teacher to say you're being uh, not being compassionate, you're being hateful, um, and that they stand firmly and politely and, and be able to answer those questions. And I think that level of courage is something that our kids are going to need, no matter what it, whether it's this situation or not. And they won't be the only ones. I'll ask them to look for other kids and align with those kids and stand together. Last question for you is also a tough one, because um, I'm asking you to crystal ball this thing, but... With all of the efforts that Mission America is making, that Protect Ohio Children are making, and other groups and organizations who do recognize the obvious things that you and I are discussing, um, it's still I still have to wonder, will there come a day when we will have put this behind us? Will, will we ever be able to declare victory? Will there ever come a time where we cross over and people say, yeah, you know what, this was misguided, this was dangerous? I mean, how many... How many suicidal, you know, teens and, and people in their 20s who realized to their great regret that they allowed the adults in their lives when they were kids to push them into something that they can never, ever reverse and never take back? How many of them will it take before people stop and actually say, you know what, maybe this was a terrible idea to push this and to call this care and to call this gender affirmation uh, instead of child abuse? Do you think we can ever turn it back, Linda? Well, I do believe that we can, but it is going to take many parents uh, to be involved, as they have been in the last couple of years. I am very encouraged by what we're seeing, because this is a whole new phenomenon, parents rising up and this becoming a national uh, election issue, quite frankly. That has not happened. I mean, it's just, this, is, this whole trend has been developing for, for 
two decades, and uh, only suddenly now is it coming to the forefront, and, and there's accountability. So I think we have to continue. We don't know the future. We don't know uh, where we're being led. We don't know where our nation's going, where our state is going. We just have to do the best we can. And if it turns out that it becomes a situation where vast majority of parents, are, you know, numbers of parents are removing their kids from schools and the the public schools are a, a wasteland, well, then then so be it. Um, that that will be very sad. We have to pray for those kids and work on those as taxpayers and keep them accountable. But but that might be where we're heading, and that would not be a totally bad thing. Linda Harvey, the founder of Mission America, also a board member of Protect Ohio Children. Um, Linda, I really appreciate you writing what you wrote about this, the strength and support for kids and parents pushing back against the uh, pronoun passports and against the interrogations that are coming as school starts again. I hope we can call on you again uh, because I know the, for the work that you're doing and the, you know, Jonathan Broadbent, of course, one of your colleagues at Protect Ohio, the, you guys are doing some incredibly laborious work in defense of kids and uh, we want to continue to highlight that here. So hopefully we can have you back on again soon. Thank you, Bob, for all you are doing. You are a great blessing to the Cleveland area, to Ohio. So thank you so much. Very kind of you to say. Thank you, Linda. Linda Harvey, uh, Mission America, we took this all the way to news. My apologies for the uh, clock. We're going to have to make up some time now. But uh, we'll come back and take calls after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1038, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, a little bit of a longer news break there than expected because we went all the way through with uh, Linda Harvey, uh, who joined us at 1010 and stuck all the way till 1030. If you missed that interview, you need to hear that interview. Um, about an hour or two after the show, it will be available on alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. That is the webpage that is the companion to this radio program. Uh, there is already on the webpage a link to her two articles uh, that we discussed, Standing Against Pronoun Interrogation at School and Pronoun Passports Are Coming. You can see those right now, top of the page at alwayswrite.us. Uh, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that interview if you missed it or if you heard part of it and you need to hear the whole thing. Because it's extraordinarily important. Let me tell you how important before I go to the phone calls. Let me give you another example of what we're talking about here. I've got a couple of stories in front of me. Boston Universities, um, or excuse me, Boston Children's Hospital, bigger part, and I almost said Boston University's Children's Hospital. Boston's Children's Hospital is um, experiencing all kinds of pushback now for a video that they posted affirming and promoting gender mutilation of young girls. Let me say that again. Promoting gender, or excuse me, I beg your pardon. If I said gender, I meant to say genital. Genital and bodily mutilation of young girls. The video that they posted, as a matter of fact, received so much pushback that they took it down. Didn't change their policies. 
They just regretted making it so widely available and known that they are willing to mutilate children based on their stages, their phases, their confusion, or whatever it is that kids go through. Boston's Children's Hospital, Boston Children's Hospital, put out a video, and on their webpage they continue to promote what they call gender-affirming hysterectomies, sterilization, and chemical castration. This is what they're promoting at a children's hospital. Despite the irreversible mental and physical damage that these procedures can cause for years now, Boston Children's Hospital has mutilated children's sexual organs under the guise of inclusive reproductive health care for people of all gender identities and anatomies. What does that look like? That looks like prescribing hormones that suppress menstruation in underage girls and block the increase of testosterone in minor boys. Phalloplasties and metoidioplasties for 18-year-old girls who want penises. Vaginoplasties for 17-year-old boys who want vaginas. Chest reconstruction and breast augmentation for children as young as 15. At 15, you don't allow a child to have sex. With somebody over 16, it's called statutory rape. Why? Because they can't make judgments enough with the maturity and, and, and the, 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 the wisdom to know what's good for them at 15. We don't allow them to sign contracts for three more years. Because the law can't hold the views of a 15-year-old and say they're bound to that. We can't let them sign contracts that are enforceable. They're too young to know better. We don't allow them to have a handle a firearm, to join the military, to cast a vote, to take a drink of alcohol, to buy a pack of cigarettes at 15, because they're too young to know better. But we can put them in a hospital and mutilate them because they say they know what they want at that age? This is beyond abusive. This is... This is Mengele-esque. I said it. The experimentation on children that was done in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust by Dr. Joseph Mengele. That's what this looks like, experimenting on young children who don't know any better. Just this week, Boston Children's Hospital scrubbed the video that's titled, What Happens During a Gender-Affirming Hysterectomy? As they promoted this genital mutilation, this reproductive mutilation, promoted it to kids. To say, look how easy it is, kids. Listen to the elementary manner in which this doctor, and I'll use that term very, very loosely, Because I don't consider this to be medical practice. This doctor is not practicing medicine. This doctor is practicing mutilation. And this doctor is thus violating the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm. This does plenty of harm. Listen to the recruiting video at Boston Children's Hospital. The hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Now, you need to see the video as this quote-unquote doctor 
presents this to kids in the most extraordinary way. She is smiling through the entire time. Do you know what happens to most women, grown adult women, who need to have hysterectomies? It's an extraordinarily difficult thing. It's an extraordinarily difficult surgery. It's an extraordinarily difficult difficult, um, emotional and psychological burden that these women bear. Maybe you're one of them. Hysterectomies are no joke. And it is a very, very difficult thing for many women to ever have to undergo. Many of them feel like it robs them of womanhood. Now, that, of course, is not true, but there is a psychological, maybe subliminal feeling that women, and I have talked to women who have had hysterectomies, who are very, very embarrassed by it. Because they, if they have to have a hysterectomy, removing their their uterus, removing uh, you know their ovaries, the fallopian tubes. That, in fact, I'll let her tell the story again here. It's very very difficult on them psychologically, and it's very very dangerous physically. And this doctor is promoting this to children with a smile on her face, as if this is just like going in and having your tonsils out. Hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophorectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. She, th- this, this, is like, this, this could have been on Sesame Street. Very, very young, quote-unquote, doctor here, by the way, but smiling along and saying, gender-affirming, 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 as if that's a positive thing, hysterectomy, which is irreversible. They scrub that video because people now see what they're doing as they recruit for profit young children to experiment upon as they continue to push this this gender-affirming Mutilation. I have said this before, and I will say it again. If a vet takes a dog into an operating room and surgically removes its four legs and replaces those legs with fins, do we now have a fish? Or do we have a surgically mutilated dog? Well, that is exactly what these adults are doing to these kids, and they're pushing it on them. They're making it sound like it's such a great thing to do. Gender-affirming hysterectomies. Gender-affirming mastectomies. Gender-affirming penis removal. They're literally abusing these kids who don't know any better. And and, and, And why am I bringing this up now? Because they're pushing this in the schools with the pronoun passports that Linda Harvey just talked about. Affirm your gender. What pronoun do you want to be called today? If it changes tomorrow, you let us know, and we'll make every kid in the classroom call you by those pronouns, or we will ostracize them. We will suspend them. We will discipline them for being bullies and being bigots and not being gender-affirming of whatever your identity is. This is beyond crazy town. This is a haunted house. Schools are becoming houses of horror. And hospitals like Boston Children's Hospital marketing, 
with young doctors with smiles on their faces, life-altering and, quite frankly, life-endangering surgical procedures like hysterectomies like that, I don't know that there are words to describe it. Uh, John is in Chardon. John, thanks for waiting for us. I appreciate that very much. You're on the air. Go right ahead, sir. Yeah. Yo, Bob, I specialize in friendships, and I have a contact list of over 90 people, one of which is Marcy that works for you. When I worked full-time for a company before I retired, my boss and I had a great relationship and friendship. About a year ago, year and a half ago, he called me and he asked me what I thought about the January 6, 2020 demonstrations in D.C. And I told him I, I liked their cause, and it was benign compared to the year before when they were burning the uh, cities down. And he hung the phone up uh, on me, and I haven't talked to him since, and I doubt that I ever will. And let me ask you, are you, are you going to miss him? I mean, I got a contact list of of ninety five, ninety eight people. So, I mean, I got a lot of lot of friends. So, no, no, I'm not. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel about it when I was talking about this. And thank you, John, for the call. If you just tuned in, uh, first uh, segment of the show, the monologue that I did was on the new Fox Pulse, uh, Fox uh, News poll, a survey that uh, asked uh, Americans if they are satisfied with the direction of this country. And why or why not? And 75% said no, and the reason why was division, the division in the country. And so the conversation became, would you rather be united with people that you just do not like, all for the sake of unity, or would you rather stay divided because you can't be friends with somebody who believes and, and, and spouts some of the things that they do? Sometimes division might actually be better, even though it's a horrible feeling, uh, I can't just plaster a fake smile on my face and and shake hands with and laugh jovially with somebody who thinks that you know slaughtering babies with scalpels in in, in utero uh, and dismembering them is okay. Uh, and that's just one example of all of the different things that we you know we disagree upon. And um, so the question is 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 forced unity better than chosen separation and division? That's what John's responding to. Uh, let's go to Leo in Cleveland next. Hi, Leo. Go ahead. Oh, Bob. Yo, Leo. Yes, hey, I wanted to let you know that I'm identifying with the uh, Hawkesville turtle. That way I don't have to pay any taxes because I'm in an endangered species. And I want everybody to, you know, respect me as that. And um, I don't want uh, the IRS to come to my house and shoot me for not paying taxes because I'm an endangered species. You mean your shell. They would come to your shell and knock on the shell. Right? Oh, since you're a turtle. Show my well. That see, you got me on that one. <laughs> yeah, they can just show themselves out of here. I'm with you, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks very much for the levity, Leo. Chuck in North Ridgeville. Hi, Chuck. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Good show today. That last guest was really good. Very educated. Very articulate. She is all um, of the above. Yes, sir. Yes, you've highlighted several points already, um, but they say uh, the. Uh, there's an adage, uh, the two death rails to discuss in any kind of ephemeral uh, social situation or, you know, meeting someone new, uh, is politics and religion. Now, the reason that is is because both go to the very heart of who you are, your values, what you believe, uh, what you, uh, what hills you will die on, and our society is so separated on those two things. I have relatives and friends that. When you go 
into their house, you slow down because the hatred is thick like jello, and it turns out in almost all respects they're watching the Kami News Network or MSLSD nonstop, and they're being filled with lies and hatred. And how can you be friends or want to associate with someone who has TDS, Trump derangement syndrome, so bad you you know you can't even be in the same room with them? And this is this is something that you you should not feel bad about if you're if you're going for truth and you don't want to kill babies, okay? And, you know, if you don't want to mutilate genitals of kids and you believe that uh, Donald Trump has been uh, investigated ad infinitum, no crime, no time, no toe fungus, no bacteria, no virus, and still these same people go, well, they just haven't found anything yet. I mean, what the hell is that? What are you looking for and why? Why? You're 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 100 right, and I I and, and I'll tell you and thank you, Mike, friend, for the call, Chuck. My my feeling on this is I would rather not pretend to be friendly with somebody whose views and whose world worldview and whose outlook on life and whose family and so on and so forth is so vastly vastly different than mine. Um. There's there's a there's an old adage and in fact it was a Paul Abdul song that said opposites attract maybe they do, uh, but I'll tell you what it doesn't pull people together as friends at least not when we're talking about things of this magnitude it just doesn't I'd rather not fake a friendship and people say well why can't you just be friends but don't talk about politics it's impossible it's impossible I went golfing the other day with a buddy of mine who's a Democrat. He's the one guy I referred to before when I said when when I told you about the conversation about whether or not I have friends that are that are left of center, and I said I can think of one really that I would actually hang out with, and we're hanging out and we talked about you know uh, a new truck, and he said uh, how, you know when'd you get the new truck? And I didn't think you were going to get one, and I said yeah because I couldn't afford it because of the inflation. It, it automatically now inflation is the topic, and then that becomes Biden inflation, and that becomes why is it? You can't just engage. Well, can you just watch the ball game together? Sure, let's go watch the Indians game. Well, they're Guardians now. Boom, politics is in play. Here we go. Let's watch the NBA instead. I can't because there's Black Lives Matter painted on the floor. One guy's going to say, that's great. I'm going to say, what's wrong with you? That's an ode to Marxism. You can't fake friendships or relationships or social gatherings, I think, with people whose worldview is so diametrically opposed from to yours. I will never be friends with somebody who thinks BLM, the organization, is good for America, is good for black people. It's not. It's terrible for black America. I will never be friends with or socialize with people who say defund the police is good for America, good for black people. It's not. It's bad for both. I'll not be friends with people who say abortion should be a woman's right. It's a it's a health procedure. It's health care. And that, yes, men can get pregnant. What's the matter with you? Look at that guy with the beard over there delivering a baby. Well, that's 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 a woman who took testosterone boosters to grow a beard. It's a woman. Well, what's wrong with you? How can't you? Why can't you just affirm who who uh, she, uh, he is? Because I'm normal. Because I believe in science. Because I know what we have always known. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. I'll be right back.
You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. If you missed the conversation I had earlier this morning with Linda Harvey of Mission America, you're going to want to hear it. We'll have it uploaded an hour or two after the uh, program ends at noon, so play around 1 or 2 o'clock somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, keep checking back to alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us, and you can uh, check on those interviews, or that interview, rather. Make sure you listen to it in its entirety. I want to pivot away from that subject now, the ongoing uh, indoctrination of, uh, of kids and the attempted mutilation of kids and the pushing of said mutilation upon kids. And talk about defending ourselves. Talk about defending our rights, uh, particularly those granted us in the Bill of Rights, particularly Amendment Number 2. Uh, Joe Biden thinks he's done a great thing by passing uh, or getting passed or pushing past uh, another gun control bill, uh, which he did. They now want all what they call assault weapons banned. They want to re- return to that from, uh, you know, from 1994. And, of course, we know this is all knee-jerk reactionary stuff in response to some terrible things, terrible people doing terrible things, uh, including uh, shooting up schools and shooting up supermarkets and so on and so forth. We know the drill. Uh, of course, disarming an innocent and law-abiding population is in no way, shape, or form going to stop criminals from uh, uh, doing the same types of, of uh, terrible crimes. Well, joining us now is somebody who has written a book about the effort to protect our Second Amendment. In fact, his title is very simple in defense of the second amendment larry korea joins us now larry korea is a best-selling author uh he is uh also a firearm professional firearms instructor and he knows as much about the second amendment and gun rights and uh uh as anybody uh he's also very well known for his monster hunter series uh he's a popular blogger he writes on second amendment rights uh in essay form as well and he joins us now to discuss the upcoming in defense of the second amendment on AM 1420, The Answer. Larry, thanks so much for making the time today. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure to have you on. The book isn't uh, coming out until January, but it's available for pre-order, I am assuming, right, uh, Larry? Uh, yeah, actually, we hit number one on a bunch of bestseller lists as soon as the uh, the day the pre-order went live, too. Beautiful. That's a great thing. And obviously, with this coming out specifically in January, maybe a good pre-order for a Christmas gift would be in order. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about where we are, and then we'll talk about specifically what you cover in the book. Um, you know, the the, the the gun fight never really ends. Um, there are peaks and valleys in terms of when it's more in the news and when there are more pieces of radical legislation that are pending uh, in the Congress in order to try to uh, strip uh, law-abiding Americans of their rights to keep and bear arms. 
we're in one of those peak periods now because we had a number of mass shootings in, in a short period of time, one of them involving a school, and that involved also the failure of law enforcement to act properly in that situation down in San Antonio. We saw the race uh, racially driven one up in Buffalo shortly before that. So whenever these things start to happen in bunches, the temperature rises, and we start to get to that fever pitch. Um, Tell me what your thoughts are on where the movement to disarm Americans stands now, particularly since uh, the uh, gun control movement is celebrating a recently passed bill that is going to provide some restrictions or place some restrictions on, on gun owners. Well, it's complicated because on one side, on the legislative side, we have them making this push for another assault weapons ban, as you mentioned, and it's ridiculous. It's absurd as the last one. Uh, that's not all the way through yet. The Congress did pass that. Um, but on the other hand, we also have Bruin, uh, the new Supreme Court decision, you know, New York State Rifle Pistol Association versus Bruin, which was a huge blow to the gun control people. Um, it, it very specifically, uh, Sam Alito went through and, and shot down all the stuff that base all their regular gun control on. And there's a whole bunch of court cases pending all over America now about things like assault weapons ban, mm-hmm. magazine capacity bans, uh, concealed carry bans. Uh, specifically, Bruin destroyed the idea of states being able to have their biased May issue style concealed carry where basically only rich people who donate, donate a lot of money to local Democrats get permits. Uh, and they killed that. It is, it is, that got smoked by the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So, actually, it's kind of complicated right now. So, the Democrats are kind of pushing back hard. Um, but the stuff they're pushing for is now blatantly unconstitutional, uh, according to a Supreme Court decision, brand new. So, it, it's, it's really an odd time. What do you make of the fact that the people who are pushing this legislation, in fact, the people who are writing and passing this legislation, have no earthly idea about the weapons that they're trying to ban? I mean, for example, oh. for I mean, for example, the chair of the uh, Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, was asked by one of the witnesses that he was questioning on the you know on on this matter, um, what AR stood for, and and in open session in the House in the in the committee, he said assault rifle. He had no earthly idea that it was Armalite. He had no idea that an AR-15 did not mean assault rifle 15, version 15. And yet these are the ones writing the laws, Larry. And to an expert like you, a firearms expert like you, that's got to be just like nails on a chalkboard, listening to these people trying to ban things that they don't even understand. They make my eye twitch. I can't say what I think about Jerry Nadler on live radio. (laughs) I know uh, that feeling. Yeah, it's so bad. Um, the ignorance is amazing. And, and if you remember back in the old, uh, it was a running joke for over a decade, back when we had the first assault weapons ban, um, I think it was Cynthia McKinney wanted to ban uh, muzzle shr- or, uh, barrel shrouds, which is just a cosmetic piece of metal that keeps you from burning your hands over a barrel. And, uh, and they asked her, well, what is a barrel shroud? And she didn't know. So she said, a shoulder thing that goes up. <laughs> and so for years we were like, well, I... I have a shoulder thing that goes up. I might be committing a felony here. Uh, yeah, I know Jerry Nadler would just embarrass him. But more importantly, Jerry anybody, Nadler, I'm sorry to interrupt your story, but did anybody say to her, what does that shoulder thing that goes up do? And why do you want it banned? What makes it dangerous in your mind? I would love to hear them just trip and you know give them enough rope with which to hang themselves. Oh, the thing is that they always get a pass. The media will always cover. So whenever one of the legislators says something really, really profoundly ignorant about guns, they just push through. And then when people like us point out that rightfully they have no clue what they're talking about, 
we always get maligned, like, oh, these gun nuts, you know, they're just hung up on terminology. They know what we mean, except they're actually passing laws based upon this nonsense. Um, well, yeah, they're passing yeah, exactly. laws, and then they have, you know, their 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 colleague in the executive side in the Oval Office is 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 the one making statements about what do you need how much ammunition for anyway? Anybody who needs thirty shots to kill a deer is an awful terrible is, is a terrible oh, shot. Kevlar, well, these deer wearing Kevlar, Kevlar vests, yeah, they, <laughs> and, you know, he keeps repeating these nonsensical statements. Um, first of all, nobody is talking about needing to go hunting with an AR. It's talking about needing enough uh, ammunition and enough uh, rounds um, in the event of a multiple, um, uh, you know, home invasion. You know, where people, what do you think that it's that it's always Joe Pesci and uh, 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 what's the other guy's name uh, from uh, Home Alone? You think it's just two clowns who invade a home every time there's home invasion? What about in a case where you have to defend yourself against five or six people? If you have six bullets and you're getting, you're going to count on yourself to be one hundred percent accurate with each one to stop the threats that are coming for you and your family. Multiple offender home invasions are common. For crying out loud! That's why we yep. need, you know, uh, the right to choose. Basically, how much ammunition do I need at a given time? How how much well, capacity do I want? And it's not the government's place to tell us what we what what will make us safe. Yeah, I go into that in the book a little bit when I talk about the magazine capacity issue. Because if I'm con- uh, like just concealed carry regular citizen out there defending myself, I don't get to choose the engagement. The bad guy chooses the engagement. I don't know how many of the bad guys are going to be. I they might don't. miss. Uh, you know, I, I don't carry more rounds in my gun so I can shoot more. I carry more rounds in my gun so I am forced to manipulate less. Um, and well so and the bad guys don't care. The bad guys are like, you know, if, if they have limited capacity, they bring more guns. Or they just plan on reloading on a particular point and then moving to the next point. Uh, these guys aren't stupid. They're evil, but they're not stupid. Uh, and well, so, yeah, it, no, it no, limits I'm, I'm, us. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, want, I just want to follow up on that, and then you continue there. You said, you know, you might miss. You're almost guaranteed to miss, it, particularly unless you are an experienced gunfighter in the military who, you know, coming back home into civilian life is a little bit more, you know, uh, comfortable and used to and has experience engaging multiple targets or multiple assailants. Chances are you're going to be terrified unless you have that kind of experience, and even they might be terrified. But in your terror and in your, you know, blood pumping and your adrenaline pumping and your fear, you know, and your eyes may be watering and things like that, chances are you're going to miss. You're going to miss several times. How many times? Times do you want to, or uh, how many uh, are you allowed to have um, in in order to make sure that after you've missed the first two or three times that you actually stop the threat that is coming to try to kill you and your family? That's the thing that they don't want to talk about. Well, missing and also uh, pistol bullets are not magic. Uh, we have many cases where guys have been shot five, seven, nine times, and uh, they walked under their own power into the ambulance. Yep. If you're dealing with a really hopped up, heavy duty assailant, um, I mean, it all depends on where you hit them, but but bullets are not magical. And uh, it's, it's what stops people with is loss of blood pressure. And if you're dealing with somebody who's really, really engaged and they don't want to give up, you may have to hit them a whole bunch of times. So this whole, you know, mag capacity thing is just absurd. And it's unconstitutional. And, and they're trying to shove it down our throats once again, even though they know it does nothing and it's blatantly illegal. But they don't care. Well- let, let's talk about the Second Amendment, too, since your book is actually entitled In Defense of the Second Amendment. We're talking to Larry Correa. He is a best-selling author. He is also uh, uh, the host of uh, the Monster Hunter Nation. Um, Larry, the the shooter in uh, the mall in um, 
was it Indiana? Was it Indiana? Now I may be mixing my stories up. I think it was. Oh, Indiana. is this where the uh, the kid shot uh, responded and took it yes. out really eight, fast? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Scored scored eight hits and ten shots from forty yards away and saved Lord only knows how many lives in that food court in that mall. Um, he was only carrying his gun because of the constitutional carry law that was passed in Indiana that basically says you can indeed carry a concealed weapon uh, uh, if you are, you know, according to, you know, the laws of that state. Um, and not every state has constitutional carry. But people were actually upset. Uh, gun opponents, gun control nuts, were actually angry that this guy was carrying a concealed weapon in that mall, saying he should not have been allowed to be there. Here's a guy who saved his life, and instead of people saying, oh my gosh, what a hero, thank you, uh, they're angry that he was carrying in the first place, which called into question the bear part of the Second Amendment, the keep and bear arms. You, it's not just about keeping them under lock and key in your home. You need to, or you ought to, or you are constitutionally permitted to carry them and bear them wherever it is that you go, uh, because that's what the Constitution says. Yeah, that kid, uh, I shouldn't call him that, Eli Dickin is his name, and yes, he is yes. a hero. Uh, uh, Eli Dickin is, uh, he performed so well, I and mean, he, he outshot the entire Uvalde PD, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> the guy the guy did amazing, and the, the thing is, you could not find a better testament to, con- uh, to conceal carry and to constitutional carry than that. But you're right, the, the anti-gun people, specifically like Shannon Watts and Moms Demand Action, uh, they mobilized out on Twitter. They set their narrative that, oh, well, you know, he didn't stop the bad guy before the bad guy shot people, so it's a failure, which is asinine. He responded in, like, 15 seconds. That's a 1,000 times faster than any responding law enforcement could possibly arrive. And he did so well, but they were making it up that he's a failure. And then they tried to make that he was just as bad as the bad guy because there were signs on the mall door saying no guns allowed, which if you know Indiana law, has no real bearing. There's, those have no force of law. That's just a suggestion. And the property owner can ask you to leave. And, and they, most, if you don't, you get uh, uh, charged with trespassing. So this guy carried his gun. He was perfectly legal to do so under Indiana law. And he saved dozens of lives. We, yes. we don't even know. No, we don't even know how bad it could have gotten. Uh, and, and it was nope. amazing, again, the, you know, just not to, not to keep harping on this, but... What a phenomenal performance. 40 yards away. People need to realize what that is. Stand on a goal line of a football stadium where where, uh, where players run their 40-yard dashes and see how far out that is. Now, think of a single target there and think of under pressure and knowing what's going on right now, uh, hitting him eight times from that distance. And he's not an expert marksman. He's not a he's not a retired sniper. He's just a young 20 or 22 or whatever it is year old guy uh, who did just an amazing thing and saved uh, a ton of lives. Um, Larry Korea is my guest. His book is In Defense of the Second Amendment. Larry, let me ask you about criminal justice reform. I know you cover this in the book, too. I find it astounding that at this particular point in time in America, the gun control nuts are back out to try to pass as many gun control laws as they can. At a time when the left is calling for defunding the police, and it's working, uh, even if it's not necessarily defunding to the point of abolition, police departments are letting attrition happen, retirements and resignations and people leaving the department and then not replacing them. So You've got fewer cops to cover more areas, um, and you've got law or uh, excuse me, uh, you've got uh, uh, prosecutors and judges allowing violent criminals to be released after arrest without bail, no cash bail, and then not punishing them and locking them up because of equity concerns um, uh, after their trials and after their convictions. So, to me, this would be the time when most Americans would say. 
it's getting more wild out there. This is the time that I need my weapon. I need the Second Amendment. I've got to defend myself. Cops won't be around, and more criminals are being released on the streets, and they want the, the American people to be more sitting ducks than they've ever been before, Larry. Yeah, I go into that uh, quite a bit because if you look at the murder stats and you look at the violent crime stats in America over the last 30 years, we have been on this wonderful downward trend. It was just funny because even as the number of guns in America skyrocketed and the number of states with so carry has gone up dramatically, uh, the number of murders and shootings has gone down, which is opposite of what the anti-gun people say. However, in 2020, you know, after our summer of, you know, Democrat national temper tantrum, we reversed 25 years of downward trend. And if you look at the graph, there was just a spike in 2020 of violent crime and murder just left. Up. And it's all because of this lawless, insane, uh, we're going to let criminals do what they want. We're going to let people burn our cities with impunity. And the police are going to stand by and let them happen. And so I think that's one reason the anti-gun people were so uh, focused and so angry about the Rittenhouse trial. Uh, because that was one where a armed citizen in his community defended himself with an AR-15 uh, against multiple bad guys. And that just ruined their narrative because, you know, they want us to sit around and be victims. They want us to get killed. And as soon as we get killed, they'll just use us as stats to uh, support more gun control. They don't care. They, they hope for death. It's the same thing with the mall shooting in Indiana. The reason they were disappointed is they want you to die. They want innocent people to die so that they can capitalize on that emotion and try to force through more control-freak laws. I and completely so, yeah, concur. They they do. They the more the more body the higher the body count there is, the more the political points they feel like they can score. That's why they were mad at Eli Dickin. They were mad because there were only four people shot there instead of fourteen or twenty four. Uh, because if you get another one, you know, like that, then it of course just makes more and more people scream, "Do something!" Whatever that yep, something exactly. is. And no matter how much of a violation of your rights that it is. Last question for you, Larry. Red flag laws. I know you covered this in the book, too. And, in fact, the red, there was red flag provisions in this most recently passed uh, Democrat bill. Um, it's important. I mean, nobody wants nuts to have guns. Nobody wants people who are mentally unstable and potentially even criminally insane, et cetera, to have guns. We understand that. But they are taking that to deny people their rights just based on the accusation from somebody who knows somebody who may not have any, you know, mental or psychological issues at all, but um, they're in a feud with somebody. There's somebody in their family they don't like. They've had a disagreement on politics, this, the other. I'll show him. I'm going to call and report him as, uh, as being a threat to himself and others. And then guess what? You, you don't, he doesn't even have a chance to defend himself. Here come the, 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 the knock on the door. They're taking the gun away. And if you ever want this back, you're going to have to come to court to get it. You're going to have to lawyer up, spend your money, spend your time to get your legally purchased or acquired uh, firearm back because somebody said you might be a danger to others. So the red flag, red flag laws are the real danger here. Yeah, and they recently passed a funding, federal funding for red flag laws at the state level. So every state will be different. But we had 15 Republicans in the Senate went along with this, yeah, uh, and which is horrible. And the thing is, the Americans really haven't caught on to what a scam red flag laws are. They're kind of backdoor gun control. They pitch it as, yeah, we're going to just disarm the crazy bad guy. But let's think about this. So if you, have, you do have an actual crazy guy on your street, he's saying dangerous things, and somebody red flags him, the cops come and get his guns, uh, he's still free. <laughs> and so what, is he going to be less murderous now? Uh, you know, what's the provision there? Or is he going to switch? Is he going to just gonna go to Home Depot and make a bomb? 
Is he just going to procure another firearm, as you know, bad guys do every single day illegally in the country? Mm-hmm. Um, or we also see all the time where it gets weaponized against decent people. Uh, one of the very first cases in America was Colorado has red flag laws, and one of the very first people they red flagged was a sheriff's deputy because he had shot a guy. It was a uh, basically suicide by cop. It was a justified shoot, except the murder of the, of the guy who got shot red flagged the deputy who shot her son. Uh, she came up with some elaborate hoax, basically, about how they were related, and that was that enabled her to do this, uh, and then got him red flagged, and then he had to go to court and deal with all this stuff. And this is a deputy. This is a representative of the county. This is a, a law enforcement officer uh, with, with uh, you know, a law enforcement lawyer. What's going to happen to the rest of us who don't have that? Uh, you know, we're going to be spending 500 bucks an hour on an attorney to fight That's the right. state to get our guns right. Because we offended Karen at the Homeowners Association. <laughs> You're exactly right. That's just a great example of what we are dealing with and why we need to learn how to defend ourselves and our Second Amendment rights. That's what the book does. In defense of the Second Amendment, Larry Correa promises uh, he has heard every argument relating to gun control that there possibly could be, and he can show you how to defend your rights against each and every one of those arguments. Get the book when it comes out. It's available for pre-order right now. It's already number one, the number one new release uh, in political freedom on Amazon. I'm looking at it right now, and uh, it'll come out in January. Pre-order it right now. In Defense of the Second Amendment is the title. There's a link to that uh, Amazon page on my webpage right now at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Larry Correa, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Best of luck with the book, sir, and hopefully we can talk again. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, check that out at alwayswrite.us. We're going to get some news now, and then we're going to come back and take some phone calls on Always Right Radio and 1420 The Answer. Pursuit of Happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on The Answer. Oh, yeah. 1140, wrapping it up here. Just got a few left before we hand it to Bill O. He'll take you to the top of the hour. Then you get some Charlie Kirk, some Dennis Prager, some Dr. G. Stay here on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, make sure you check out uh, uh, Linda Harvey joined us from Mission America uh, in the uh, second hour of the program talking about the pronoun battle. There's a pronoun battle passport that is almost inevitably coming to your school and your kids are going to be forced to deal with. She is offering some tremendous suggestions on how to deal with it in her article, which is linked now to alwayswrite.us. That is alwayswrite.us. Check it out for yourself right now. It's in the top left-hand part of the page. But um, she, uh, she has written a piece, Standing Against Pronoun Interrogation at School. There's a list of suggestions of things that you can tell your kid to say. If your kid's teacher tells them on the first day of school, which is coming up quickly, who are you? How do you identify? What are your pronouns? If they try to make them play that game, there are a lot of great suggestions there. The conversation is much deeper than just pronouns, though. If you missed it, you can hear it right now. Well, uh, not right now. Beg your pardon. You can hear it uh, probably within the next hour or so at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Now, while you're on that website, alwayswrite.us, do not forget you can always go to the uh, sound off button on the right side of the page and click, put your name in, uh, record your message in your phone or computer's microphone and send it to me. And then I'll play it on the radio just like this. Hey, Bob. The way I interpret that poll, well, the 75% that uh, 
don't like the country, where are we going? I think half of them are Republicans that don't like Democrats, and the other half are Democrats that don't like Republicans. And I think the best way to go about this is uh, do that national divorce, split up. And I think it's for the best. And the way we can do that is if you live in a Republican state and you're a Democrat, you're not voting. Go to a Democrat state and vote. Problem uh, you know, i got to tell you, uh, that was Dan and Parma. Dan, I, uh, I've i talked about this national divorce. I don't necessarily disagree, but it's a there's a logistic and an infrastructure, you know, to be considered. Um, you know, we need waterways. We need our coasts. <laughs> um, we need uh, we need the Great Lakes. We need, you know, there are we need farmland. People on the East Coast have the water. We have the farmland in the middle. Uh, you know, the division of resources would be impossible to do if we were trying to just go switch to blue state from red state. Red state, but I do have to agree. If you can't live with somebody. Uh, divorce may, may be the only option. And I don't know about you, but I can't live with people who believe the things that these people do. Uh, I've essentially excised most of them from my life if they were ever in it in the first place, and I know I'm not the only one. Uh, what's Brian in Brunswick got to say? Hey, Bob, Brian from Cleveland. Love the show, by the way. Abe Lincoln once said, if you call a dog's tail a leg, how many legs does it have? <laughs> It still has four legs because the tail is still a tail, whether you call it a leg or not. Have a go, man. Love the show. That is a home run right there. That is is well done. That is not... That is not dissimilar from my my you know more extensive analogy about taking a dog in and having all four of its legs surgically removed and then surgically attaching fins in their place. Do you now have a fish? You do not. You have a mutilate, or excuse me, a, uh, a surgically mutilated dog. That's what you have. You can put makeup on a man. You can even fashion uh, plastic surgery uh, uh, genitalia for that individual. But from every cell of their being to every chromosome in the body to everything that makes a person a person, it's still a dude, and vice versa. That's the way it is, as uh, Pastor Robinson likes to tell us. Ain't but two genders, two genders, ain't nothing but men and women. I love that, man. Uh, thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks to Linda Harvey for being a guest this morning. Thanks to Larry Correa. Thanks to Johnny and Marianne and Marcy, our crew. And thanks to you for listening. Now let's try to all say this together. You ready? Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.